0: The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Sao Paulo Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way, let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man, from a white oak tree, people sitting on porches, thinking how things used to dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio, but on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. Uh, Thursday night is when I'm recording this, a little bit, a couple hours actually now, after the uh, UFC 229 press conference, which I'll touch on. I probably could have recorded this last night as I tweeted out, but I said, you know what, I'm gonna try to get some rest, which it might not sound like it. By the sound of my voice, yeah, my voice is still kinda doing this thing from like last week. I don't know what's going on. I didn't like kill myself every night like I normally do. I actually, believe it or not, I like got six plus hours, which I know is not enough. Six plus hours of sleep. But yeah, uh bear with me. Hopefully this clears up. I'm gonna gonna take my co host's advice and not uh, not worry about it too much, but yeah, my voice been sounding a bit funny. I, I don't feel sick or like I'm coming down to anything. I'm guessing it is the allergies. Allergy season, although it's kind of always been allergy season out here in Vegas. We're going through uh, crazy winds. As you know, The whole world is going through global warming and all their bullshit weather. Enough with that. We have a lot to cover. Uh, I, I I postponed it like I was saying because I figured, you know what? With the USADA news, that was a-brewing and sure enough dropped uh, last night about uh, John Jones, which I'll touch on. Or maybe a couple nights ago, depending on when you're listening to this, which I'll touch on here briefly. Uh yes, the two twenty nine conference press conference in New York went down as well. So uh I figure we'll get a reaction to that. But to start off the week, uh speaking of Connor and Khabib and UFC two twenty nine, um that new uh project video uh that I was hinting at, not the top five uh videos, which 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 was received really well. Thank you guys for that. But the um Points of interest, little breakdown preview video, if you will, doesn't doesn't give my prediction. I'm gonna save that for the in-depth breakdown that I'll drop on Junkie on Fight Week in a couple weeks here for UFC 229. But it was just a little idea we're tossing around as far as content. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know. Uh, I really wanted to get your guys' feedback. Uh, obviously, this isn't really a two-way street. I'm not doing this on a YouTube channel or anything, so you guys can't get at me right here. But you can get at me at Twitter at DanTomMMA or At the PYN Podcast, which is the same address for Instagram and Facebook, those ads for at the PYN Podcast definitely help. won't overfeed your timeline with any bullshit, but yeah, please um, get at me there, and uh, I'm going to hold off on email, I do have an email that I I never check for this thing, and uh, I'm just going to hold off on that, but but I want to get that going as well, just for general questions. I want to have a segment on here where I can actually answer your guys' questions, whether it be about current events random shit about mma or even random shit about not mma which you're at your own risk there if you have dan if you ask dan tom for advice you've been warned there but yeah um want to get that up all and going and get your feedback but but yeah mainly about the new format again um uh, the video which let me know what you think about that it's it, it, it did really well so I, i'm imagining it um you guys liked it but uh, again going more to a video and, and less writing you know just the the market and the analytics have been really declining in, in, as far as you know in-depth breakdowns over the past couple of years and uh a lot of the people who really did a good job at it like the Patrick Wymans or the Connor Rebushes uh you know don't uh, don't do them or sites you know don't really offer them or if they do you know uh you know, shouts by the way to guys like like Tom Feely over at Sure Dog and 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 people over at, you know other sites like, uh, and you know all the other sites and stuff that that, that that's still doing. But yeah, and in other words, less of it, right? Less of it, and probably for a reason. And the analytics aren't aren't, aren't that great. So uh, you know you you got to kind of shift with the change. And it's my baby. It's weird not doing full breakdowns. You know, like like uh, anymore. I mean, it was. It was almost weird I mean, for people that were following me for a while. I started off doing the whole card, and granted, they were very poorly written and less in depth than, than they were at the peak peak, uh, you know, couple year run, that, if you will. But then I went to just main cards, right? But that that was fine, <clears throat> you know, with maybe a highlight of a prelim here or there, maybe that kind of stuff. But it was always the main cards that, that was you could count on with my format. And it's weird not doing that, but 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 you know what? Um, we will be doing that for pay-per-views going forward, but for fight nights, if you notice, I'll just be writing up the main cards, unless it's like a, you know, like a Jose Aldo, Jeremy Stephens type level co-main, we'll probably make the exception there, and same thing with Bellator, well, I mean, you know, I thought I was doing Bellator main card at all in the first place, but you know, as far as, you know, just, just main event write-ups, so, and and as well on that, speaking of changing the format, but even tweaking the format a bit on those, you know, um, the long summaries, they're definitely not, not super popular. Again, writing much less long form is not my specialty. Uh, any of those layers, but when you don't have the rights to things, you don't have a following or a name or or a job. If we're rewinding to when I first started doing this, you have to find your way in. You know, kind of like when I was in a band. It was like, okay, well, it's satur- You know, at the time the music scene was saturated with. Heavy chug metalcore, so I, I you know, I, I was more of a punk rock youth crew fan. Let's let's do that, and you know, it didn't really make us too popular in Vegas. But granted, we got a lot of shows everywhere else, whether California, or, you know, Arizona, Utah, and surrounding areas. Kind of a random analogy. And I don't expect most of you guys to follow, but the point is, you know, having a plan of attack. No matter what your passion is in life and mine for this was, well, not, not a lot of of in depth uh, breakdowns and. Whether it was in-depth, long-form video, shorthand, whatever, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot from the martial artist perspective or the experienced perspective. Not that I'm, you know, the most experienced guy, but 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 you get what I'm saying uh, as far as that goes. And uh, I just I just wanted to kind of fill to fill slash add add to that uh, that section uh, of it. So so yeah, it, it's kind of weird, but but yeah. Um, so if you're missing it, I guess I'm just trying to say that I sympathize with you to a certain sense, but at the same time, this is for the better, um, you know, video, it's going to, there's going to be a lot, a lot of flexibility, a lot of expanding, Nothing's set in stone. You know, these are kind of the first drafts. So that's why I'm saying your feedback's welcome. Sorry for my long winded, um, spiel there. Next on my note list is Kid Yamamoto. Sad, sad note. We're moving on kind of a sad note there. Um, you know, it's kind of been spoken at nauseam. There's been people... Who wrote an awesome uh, articles like you know Mike Chiappetto or uh, Dave Meltzer out there and there are people have uh, in. I know we waited on our show, MMA Junkie Radio. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Went down the wrong pipe a little bit there. Drinking some water. Uh, you know, talked a little bit about MMA Junkie Radio and we'll go too much into it here, but. um but yeah, man, it's just uh, just super sad, you know. Uh, August, he tweeted out, or, or got mentioned that, you know, it was battling cancer. I guess that was on the inside new for the last year, but didn't know how bad it was. And then, you know, I saw through, uh, uh, through I retweeted it, actually. uh aforementioned Connery Rebus uh, tweeted it out, and uh, I guess BJ Penn shared, like, some little like pictures and a little story thing about just visiting Kid Kid was supposed to come out to Hawaii and he never made it and I guess spent his last days in Guam and the all traveling BJ Penn it seems to be everywhere these days I still haven't caught up on the interview um, by fighting over uh, by Guillermo Mercure's over caught up with him at Nova and Yao I think uh, but I think he's everywhere but yeah there are pictures there with him and, uh, with Kid in Guam and kid just looked really emaciated, man, and, and, uh, kid was always a healthy, even when he was cutting down a bantamweight, he never, you know, it just, you know, wasn't looking unrecognizable, I mean, uh, yeah, I shamefully didn't have him on my list, but, we, you know, I, I, was it Juan Tram. Tran, shout out to whoever it was, listener, who had him on their list, and we, we spoke a bit about it on the top five, uh, lightweight winning streaks, but, uh, but yeah, he, uh. He was a pioneer for those divisions, Japan and all that, and it um, just—it just sucks, man. We're going to be starting, you know. I don't know how old any of you guys are at the other end of this microphone, but uh, I'm—I look like I'm 23, but I'm actually 33. But I feel like I'm going on the 53, physically. Emotionally, I'm probably going on 63. So, but no, uh, no matter what age you're at, is what I'm trying to say is that the sport is also getting older and this stuff's becoming more and more common. Uh, You know, whether the real life setting in, you know, people needing hip replacements, people running off the rails with drugs and domestic violence, bar fights, dying, natural, unnatural, fucked up causes. That's life, man, it is. It's not special to MMA, but MMA just being, again, such a young sport, we get to see all these evolutions, but another part of that that's not spoken of, and I think we're kind of seeing, is that we get to see life happen too. And MMA is so young; it's like a little kid. Like when we're kids, we think we're invincible and it's gonna live forever. And this, and, and then, then you see eras fade and things change, and MMA get more commercialized, and the old legends of the past grow old. And it's, it's a weird time, man. I'm not gonna get too too. I'm not gonna wax on you guys too much again. I have to cover. About eleven or twelve minutes in here, and and I want to get and want to push forward. Um, <clears throat> I wrote down proper twelve whiskey, but that was uh, before the press conference, which kind of shifted my attitude toward it. But it's on its way, I guess. I ordered two bottles of that. May or may not be doing some taste testing on uh, MMA Junkie Radio and or we'll see. I'll, I'll, I, I pitched it over to. to to john and kenny and the roadshow about i mean that seems kind of the most proper place to have the the the, the alcoholic taste testing if you will right mm-hmm. um and by the way uh, <laughs> if uh, if anybody's been uh, borderline accused of a connor hater in the way i've spoken about him and in his absence <laughs> it's been me so i didn't buy it just because it was connor i would buy it if it was uh if it was anybody it could be a uh, masa randuba Whiskey, and I would buy it. I'm a I'm a shill for whiskey, I'm a, and I'm a shill for, for for this kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I'm a mark, I should say. Yeah, there we go. Um, <clears throat> Triple G Canelo two. This has been waiting a lot as well. I'm glad I watched this. I was uh, I was house sitting over the weekend, so it was just a lot of MMA. You know, MMA was at weird times, and the dogs really weren't letting me sleep too much. They were waking me up every couple hours. So I feel like I was sleeping in like four-hour intervals last weekend. Maybe maybe, maybe could contribute to my, my voice not recovering. We'll just say, Dan, not worrying about it. It'll come back. It'll come back, and you'll be able to torch pe- torture people at full volume on this podcast and many others. Relax. Um. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, my coach is back in town, by the way. So Dan Tom, even though I'm not looking forward to, uh, by the way, good news, the GI doc, uh, I won't get into the details, but you know, nothing life-threatening. We'll just say uh, that—that's my recap there. But uh, I still have to get my hernia stuff fixed, which I'm not looking forward to going in under the surgery again. But what can help me look forward to is a house sitting for a coach and move back into town. that's right—a uh, catch wrestling coach, and uh, so I'm going to look forward to getting back uh, under the ranks there and moving back, moving and you know, getting back into the swing of things. Kind of motivated, Dan Tom G- gave Dan Tom the. Martial arts motivation. I've been just working out at home, just trying to get the weight down. Yada yada. That, that's about it on that front. Sorry. Back to the Triple G Canelo 2, which I was watching from his house, and I was glad, man. I really, I really don't want. I admittedly don't watch boxing that much at all these past years. I've been really bad about it. I fell out, you know. I grew up on it early because um, my my father uh, had a lot of. Uh, a lot of Mexican friends at were maybe just two or three to be honest on a lot key ones that he would just go golfing with and hang out with on the weekends and uh they were all boxing fans so we would watch the early Tyson fights of the 90s you know his comeback fight against McNeely um but uh, also in the early 90s um young Dan Tom grew up watching uh Julio caesar chavez you know is, uh, even even have, 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 even have my earliest memory probably a boxing of any fight probably is his fight with meldrick taylor too uh, not not too but his, his fight with meldrick taylor um as well and uh and I, so I, I really grew up on uh, on 90s uh, really in 90s boxing you know holy field the fan man um, you know was living out here just watched it on tv though uh, and all like the classics so that got me a boxing. When I say I started in a box. but sadly, I didn't follow it. I I even like watched. I was even joking with uh, in a way He was talking about uh, Manny Tapia. That was like one of his favorite boxers, right? And uh I was just friend, I was lucky enough to be friends with uh, someone. Who, uh, uh, his father was like an uh, executive host at Mandalay Bay, so we would just get comped like restaurants and a bunch of shit. Couldn't gamble, so he's got to pretty much everything else that was non-gambling. So I was, you know, under twenty-one at the time. But uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, Tapia versus Soto. Um, I think it's two thousand. What was this? Two thousand one. Yeah, two thousand one. And I had we got floor seats to that, and we <laughs> sat in front of Tracy McGrady, and just looking back, go, hey, it's T Mac, and just again, like a kid, I didn't fucking deserve to be there. I, I fucking like I could even see like when I was down on Edson, like you know. It, <laughs> and so probably giving me the hawaiian pass and all but he's almost just looking at me like you were a kid and you got to see that fight on the floor i'm like yeah i know i didn't fucking deserve to be there i'll fucking be the first to admit it <laughs> but uh but yeah i admittedly fell out of boxing you know from the early 2000s on and um and fights like this is makes me want to get back into it you know and i've been lucky to see others you know i don't know if i don't know if i share this story you know and know, Dan Tom when he worked with a bunch of you know a, 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 a bunch of Mexican sounds negative probably due to our our, our presidente, but uh, just you know going and watching Margarito versus uh, Cotto the first one and it was funny yeah that was the infamous hand wrapping one, and we did a we did a drawing pool where we all draw rounds from a hat and Dan Tom drew round eleven that's like the worst round you can get right you're like ah oh, fuck round eleven man if it goes to round eleven you know. There's a high percentage. I don't, I don't I don't follow up, but I guarantee it's a high percentage. Probably going to go to Decision at that point. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And, of course, it ended in round 11. And, uh, you know, by the time the raps were found out, they, 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 Dan Tom, <laughs> Dan Tom's $112 earned was long spent by then. Yeah, yeah, the whopping $112. Then. But anyways, uh, yeah, I don't really watch much, much boxing. And this was a, it was a good match. I scored at one... Sorry, I'm really waxing here. I apologize, guys. I scored at 115, 113... Uh, Triple G, but again, not a robbery. I mean, there's so many swing rounds. I mean, you could argue there's like six swing rounds in there. Um, again, you know, Triple G, uh, of course, working his jab, but it was weird because the roles were reversed. I didn't watch it as closely. I believe it was like dual programming the first one when it was around, so I was kind of dual screening the first one. But again, you see the basic dynamic of Triple G pressuring and Canelo countering, whereas Canelo made some good adjustments from that first fight and, and and really, I think, shook, not shook up Triple G because the one thing, uh, even in exchanges or that you you could argue that, that Triple G didn't win or rounds, you could argue Triple G was not winning. I was just admiring the calm and coolness he that he was keeping in the chaos. And I'm sure people just watched all Triple G fights through or at least followed him in the relevant years, which I admittedly both have not. Uh you're probably like no no surprise dumbass. So again, I'm not gonna get uh too into either either fighter. I just think visually, you know, you don't see it as much in volume. You'd like to think boxing judges are smaller smarter as far as far as awarding defense. Not necessarily oh awarding defense of fighters, uh but even just so much as seeing what fights what what shots are landing and what aren't. Whereas I think MA judges, even the ones from boxing are more easily persuaded. Uh, especially when you have things like kicks and you're really just adding to what the eyes of a judge has to be aware of. It has to really widen your eyes, right? What you're looking for. Um, and But nevertheless, it's human perception is human perception. Judges are judges. And I just think the variety and the visual effect of Canelo's variety, uh, you know, going to the liver and, and really just emphasizing whether they're landing clean or not when he was trying to come around the guard uh, on his shots and, I got to imagine at least that, you know, uh, one, one of those close rounds, but I, I'm not throwing my hat up either way. I don't have a, I'm not going to weigh in anymore to be honest because there's way more qualified people than me uh, weighing in, with, obviously from the boxing side, but even from the MMA side, way more pe- qualified people uh, to weigh in <clears throat> on that fight than me, uh, than my novice, a- admitted novice ass. But it's funny, man. I, again, for as much as I barely watch boxing when I do watch it and and, and and at least recently, tweet about it. I, I end up getting picked up on the fucking uh, Twitter timelines. Like uh, the same thing happened for uh, Mayweather McGregor, and I, I didn't have the damn blue tick check mark or whatever um, when I got picked up on the timelines before. So I don't even think it was a blue check mark th- thing. <laughs> but uh, th- this one, it was just I just pretty much just tweeted. Uh, I just I thought you know, seeing it now, it looks like it came down to r- round twelve, uh, which was given two judges gave to Canelo, um, I felt it, re- I felt it slightly resembled round 10, just less emphatically, uh, for, uh, with an argument for Canelo essentially is what I said. I don't know exactly how I worded it. And I said, I gave it a triple G and, uh, it got way more positive than negative. That's for sure. But it, it's just funny. <laughs> I didn't even bother arguing with a negative cause I, I don't know to take it personal. Not that I, I, I really take stuff personal anyways, but, uh, it was it was just funny because, again, I'm like, I don't have a dog in this race, guys. I was, like, just enjoying as a spectator. I was not tweeting as an authoritative voice, nor do I think I am on boxing or MMA for that matter, but definitely not for boxing. Uh, so I just thought it was funny that that shit gets picked up and people care so much. And I wrote Mario Lopez in quotes here, and this is stupid and it doesn't matter, but it's funny. It's one of those weird things where just, like, he, uh, he liked a, the tweet or whatever, and... Again, that's just so stupid and insignificant, especially in this day and age. And yeah, the only reason why is because, again, it randomly got picked up on a timeline. But as a kid who grew up watching Saved by the Bell, <laughs> never in the world did I think that uh, AC Slater uh, was going to stop and read something, uh, take time out of his day to read something and, and hit the like button on Dan Time. Again, it's insignificant, and silly, which it is, and yeah, just... just Again, it is, it is yeah 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 yeah. Little Saved by the Bell fan there. By the way, Saved by the Bell. Like I only if only life was like Saved by the Bell. You know, at least from Zach Morris's perspective. Because anytime you had a problem, all you had to do was go sit out on that beach, and like whatever whoever you were conflicting with was they were just gonna come out and be like, hey Zach, you know, life's not so bad. Let's right, start Richard retrogressing. Alright, yesterday, last night, or whatever. Not gonna say it, I'm not gonna timestamp it. This week, a couple of days ago, whatever, um, the news breaks that we were sadly not surprised about. USADA uh cl- cleared uh clear John Jones. Uh and uh, sorry, I'll cue something up to to to, re- to a reference here. But um yeah, you saw it a clear, not clear John Jones, but reduced it from, you know, the speculative 24 to 48. Uh, and then it you know, ended up just being a 15-month, a very convenient number, I guess, for the UFC 230, uh, 230 ticket sales. Yada, yada, which, of course, Dana White did his Dana White and has since denied since it came out. Of course, the suspension, they, they could not find the source. Uh by the way, technically they don't have to. Regardless of whether you agree with it or not, they don't have to use that or uh, find the source. But, uh yeah, apparently it came down to a clause uh, for snitching. By the way, before I, I ramble incoherently any more than I already have, I, I'm pulling up his Twitter handle now, who I cited on my Junkie Radio. Um, I feel like we all slaughtered this name wrong. Ian Kidd. Uh, at I-A-I-N-K-I-D-D. He writes for Bloody Elbow, does research covering PEDs, fighter safety, and regulation. Does a really, really good job. Follow him if you're not already. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, it was essentially, it was a clause, just like you hear in the movies, uh, snitching. Um, you know, and, and probably not on fighters. Usually it's for distributors, dealers, if you will. Uh, manufacturers, distros, which, you know, I want to ask somebody who knows, but I wonder if that stuff does lead to fighters inadvertently because, I don't know if it was the Conte bus or those weightlifting busts, but whatever it was, um, that ended up uh, getting tracked. And I don't know if it was, again, maybe they're doing the similar, uh, the company was doing something similar to John Jones did where they turned evidence. But they submitted a list with a bunch of fighters, with and then that's where Shane Carwin's name was on. I'm sure someone's gonna correct me, which is more than welcome to. Uh, at Dan Tom and may Mayo, like clarification on that. We're going to, we had our own Stephen Morocco on today. I wanted to ask him about that. I didn't get a chance to. We only had him on for a little bit, but you know. So I wonder if that's gonna be in other words, you know, fighters as well will get <laughs> thrown on this list um, through the butterfly effect, if you will. But it doesn't surprise me, you know, I'm strangely torn, you know, I admit it, I've never been a fan of John Jones as a person, I always suspected he had a kind of fakeness about him, and I think the evidence is stacked up, I don't know if, if I really need to go into all the, from the suspect low-T test, to the positive tests for uh, recreational drugs, to the positive tests uh, for uh, turinable and and these other things, like uh, which I don't have on hand, but, but the recent ones, the relevant ones... Um, T-boning a pregnant lady fleeing the scene, returning the scene, fleeing the scene again, uh, you know, DUIs and uh, infidelity, whatever you want to say about the man's character. I'm not one of these people who have ever denied his ability uh, when it came time to picking I wasn't just fading John Jones to fade John Jones. I, I, I'm pretty sure yes, since I've been doing this, I'm pretty sure I've, I've picked him every time. Um, so I don't think any of those things can be thrown at me here though I will admit to the other things uh, I don't think steroids teaches you how to throw spin kicks I uh, I I still consider him I don't blame anybody for putting an asterisk I, I probably, gun to the head put an asterisk uh, on his record because the source was not found and again there there's just too many surrounding things Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the, the ever growing popular take that our sport is not a sport. Um, I don't want to say it's growing on me because you know what? I've had this take since before most of y'all knew this was a sport. I've had this take since before I knew this was a sport. I had this take before this uh, was bought by Zufa. When it was in the Dark Ages, that's when I first became aware. When Ultimate Fighting guys would come through my places of work, in the late early 90s as a high school kid or martial arts gyms, um, and uh, as a high school kid in the late 90s and early 2000s, and just because uh, you know it was in that era where you had to stick to your martial arts, so I was in Kempo Karate, and I was dissuaded from going to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu gyms, even though you know my buddy Christian Silva was like no my Brazilian friend of course was like no dude you gotta check out Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and MMA it was turning me on MMA but uh but also part of me was like no man this is martial arts and then I saw you know kind of start transitioning to get it more popular and I'm like I don't want anything to be sports or athletes or juked up guys on steroids and it wasn't the wrong ideology to have of course but I'm just explaining to you where a lot of ideologies were back then okay this wasn't you know, uh, late nineties, early two thousands, even this was not an enlightened era in martial arts still. Okay. Um, people were still thinking their shit was the best. I think even mixed martial arts kind of still proved that a lot of people were still specialists. Right. Um, uh, and, and that was the evolved, uh, form of martial arts that was ever evolving at that time. Um, sorry, I, I if, I'm, if I'm, if I'm tangenting here, but, uh, but, but yeah, I, I uh, anyways I, I come from that purest uh, state of mind to where you know this isn't a sport it's about it's a fight at the end of the day you know it's not uh, you know marketing and stuff I, I appreciate that from pro wrestling and pro wrestling from catch wrestling japan shooto pancreas you know your evolutions new japan pro wrestling all those worlds kind of melting melding together in japan and then you know between the japanese scene of the valley Tudo scene and you have our sport, right, eventually. And I'm sorry I'm speeding through the MMA timelines there. But so I appreciate it all. I'm just saying and my opinions evolved with it all, but but now we're kinda of going back to that, right? We're thinking, is this is this really a sport? I see that opinion out there a lot and uh I'm not against it, but uh it's funny because i it's kinda of my old it's kinda of my old mentality, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which is the odd part, you know? But I get caught in that too because I work in the the damn MMA media and we all get caught saying it is a sport. and It's our sport. It's a weird line, right? But if if, if we put that on pause for a second and whether or not we just think everybody should be juiced up or not, I I understand. I understand that that guys I liked or might not have liked or the eras, of all the eras, let's be honest, of, of the sport that I and you have watched has involved juiced up fighters. So to have this overly pure mentality <laughs> that that they're just stepping in there as pure martial artists and no steroids is is foolish and I didn't think that USADA was going to do it when they first came in but I held out faith I held out faith that maybe it was going to be for the good but just like I gave the benefit of the doubt though a very small very like 1% benefit of the doubt for Reebok I still gave him somewhat of benefit of the doubt it's quickly gone away, you know. As far as false punishments, their due process, uh, punishments for shit like weed, like especially now. And I'm gonna see guys like the, if, I, if I see people get punished for <laughs> for marijuana, you know, uh, after after the way they handle stuff like this, you know, kind of like DC's uh, thing where he didn't. <laughs> his response was not at John Jones was all right. If we're gonna do this, Usada, stop coming to my my house at 8 a.m. You know, that's kind of his way of saying, you know what, if we're going to fucking do a dog and pony show, which apparently it seems to be, then let's cut this shit out. And, uh, you know, perception is everything what they do at the, at the end of the day is, it's, it's going to speak, it's going to speak loud. And as Simon Samano tweeted, uh, the optics are bad, and I agree. The optics are really bad on this. And visually, which I'll get to a visual of the 229 presser, and we'll move on uh, to the breakdowns from there, I promise. Visually, what was really bad, I think, was uh, it started looking bad for me about a year ago, about about the time where the test came through, where uh, Nowitzki was sitting at the, the t- Dana white Night Contender Series this is the first season, right, last summer, and I don't know why, it just seemed like they're a real buddy-buddy vibe, which I'll get to another Dana uh, buddy-buddy vibe here at the UFC 29 press conference, but a real buddy-buddy vibe. And I'm not trying to come at uh, come at uh, Dana unfairly because that's like the cool thing to do or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm being fair, I'm, being, I'm just being honest here, whether it's good for my quote-unquote career, even though I, I say that jokingly, which I probably shouldn't <laughs> should take it more seriously and think about what I say, but I can't help it. i got to be honest here, okay? not... Again, I'm not gonna say politically correct things for my. If it sounds like politically correct things, it's not for my job. And when I say things like that, I'm not trying to be avant garde or anything like that. Okay, it's not. It's just how I feel, for better or worse. Uh, But but it's for me when that buddy buddy vibe, that kind of you know right you know it, it. It just it just feel it didn't feel very third party to me, you know. I don't know. And uh, the actions have kind of spoken to that. Kind of like with, you know, I'm not trying to say, the, I'm trying to, the Dan is right hour here, but kind of like what I just said, you know, my feelings on John Jones. Um, and then the actions that followed, I'm like, ah, shit. I was kind of hoping I was wrong. I was kind of hoping I was just, I was kind of hoping my initial perception, the badass that, you know, fucked up Stefan Bonner at UFC 94, that's the guy we we're dealing with here. But, uh,. Actions speak louder than words, unfortunately, for you, Sada. But again, putting John Jones' character and putting this aside, and what you might think of this aside, I am excited for everything related to 205 pounds and north of it for the return of John Jones and all the violence and skill that he brings to the table. Because that I do not deny, and that, I will admit, though not proudly, I'm selfishly excited for. So there's that. The shark is returned to the waters. Everybody, UFC 299 press conference was over. Um, I felt like you know, I got a text message from Brian who saying uh, it was cringeworthy without the, especially without the crowd there. And I felt like the tweets that I was reading was the same way. I was kind of a little late to it because um, I was uh, at a doctor's appointment as I tweeted out, which I was late to. Pulled my own Conor McGregor there. They weren't appreciative of that. Um, but yeah, uh, with the tweets I was reading, it seemed like that, but it didn't seem like people were warming to Connor and then people were just, you know, ah, oh, everyone's warming to Connor, not riding Connor. So, you know, again, normal polarizing, <laughs> normal polarizing tweets about Connor, right? One side or the other, I guess you could say, <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, you could see Connor kind of struggling to, you could see him almost visually kind of memorizing his lines you know shuffling through his uh, cliff notes of Chechen and Russian encyclopediatic uh, information although let's be honest it is a lot of hard names to memorize a lot of hard things to cram you're alive you're shaking off the dust it's been a while since you've done one of these it's your first couple of minutes maybe you're maybe you're coming down from the caffeine or other uplifting substances you might have taken before you there's a lot that he can be excused for for those first couple minutes, especially trying to tackle stuff like that. So I'm definitely not trying to come at him. In fact, I don't know if I'm gonna go. Oh, he's such a brilliant master Napoleon mind for doing his homework. I don't know if I'm gonna go there with it. But yeah, props to him, man. The man did his homework. You can't you can't deny that, right? Um, and it got better. You know, it gets better as it goes. It got better as it goes on. I guess in the sense of. Uh, well, before I get to that, before it got better, it got here's where where it got cringy for me. Uh, not so much the McGregor doing his McGregor thing, because let's be honest, this is the McGregor character that we saw since from UFC 205 post fight speech on. That's where I kind of started kind of getting off as far as uh, I know we're not supposed to be a fan, but I say that loosely. Sometimes literally with well, guys like Jim Miller or BJ Penn, and I admit that. Uh, but as you know, uh, but using the loose term. Not even loose term. I'm a very fan of, of Conor McGregor. Even going back and watching footage, man. Just remember, remembering why I was a fan of this guy. Like, oh shit, from the Cage Warriors days to his UFC debut, uh, and even those those fights after, of course, when he started, everybody really started getting on board. Um, but uh, it's because he had that martial arts aspect of him, You know, there, there, there was that still humbleness, and even when he was doing the stuff like the Aldo build up there was still a certain line that he didn't cross, right? And after the fight, with was nothing but respect. He comes to that post-fight press conference at 194, and that was, I think, the last, that post that was the last Conor McGregor that I, I really liked, at least really saw, you know, as far as that balance of martial artists to just really, we saw the personality overkick, And it wasn't even shtick because, you know, with all the personal uh, things and unneeded things you know that were beyond publicity stunts uh pop up i'm not gonna go into all of them from belt or drugs supermodel tweets whatever all that stuff right <sighs> uh anyways and also, so you know again why this seems kind of prevalent john jones you saw it again starting off one way and then actions kind of speaking louder than words i guess that is it's kind of the tale though in combat sports whether you're the promoter the facilitator or mainly, yes, the fighter. This is kind of the sad tale and the sad story, common story arcs, if you will. Um, so, yes, Sam McGregor comes with his whiskey. And, you know, uh, two of hand props to him. I, I, we should have seen that coming, right? But I guess what we should have seen coming was that he, Conor McGregor, now has the whiskey a uh, deal. It's going to be not just for this fight, but coming forward, we're going to see proper 12 on the mats. I mean, boy... He might not have gotten the deal that he wanted as far as the press conference. He might not have gotten the deal that he alluded to back in the day as far as ownership. But he got a whiskey deal in there, and that was fucking very smart. Um, very smart of him to go into a venture. Uh, not like someone like a restaurant that's just going to lose money or a gym that's going to lose money and both commit a lot of time whether you're there or not. Uh, you set something like a whiskey up. You got to know, you know, know what you're doing. You obviously want to do it right. But the branding makes sense. And that's kind of something that uh, can, run, can run itself. Um, that can, as you say, scale. It's a much more... That's the word I was looking for. It's a much more scalable... Someone's been listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast. It's a much more scalable uh, business venture. And then you tie it into your negotiations and dealings and pocketbook with the UFC. Fucking smart man. Fucking smart man. Um, I will give him props there. Definitely. Um but, it, and it kind of gets soured because he gets what he wants and you see Dana doing the, don't, don't bring it up here. And I'm still kind of confused at the whole motive here, or why the crowd, I don't know why guys, it's just, it seems really ass backwards. You want, f- f- I don't know what's going on with the cooks in the kitchen, if it's Dana, if it's more than a Dana-Connor battle or even why Dana would take this stance, or if it's other people behind Dana that he's, Dana just has to represent. But yeah, again, oh, don't get the whiskey. But then he brings it out. And of course, Dana does a whiskey shot with him. And it's like, you're just so obviously blowing out, man. Like, it's so bad. Like, uh, you know, uh, and he would, and like, acting like this is the first time he went after family and stuff before. Like, yeah, it went political. It definitely went dark in that sense. But, like, you know, these quotes, I haven't read the whole thing, so I, mean, I shouldn't be pontificating too much now. But, like, Dana's like, oh, it's so dark. It's so this. It's like, well, you you laugh every time like on the years before he's been doing this. Uh, I, I'm sure the other fighters don't feel good. Um, and uh, and man, it's just between you know Dana doing shots and laughing at the joke and just you know just catering to Connor when they're even when they're not catering to Connor, right? Which is weird. Uh, the Usada catering to Jones and whatever part the UFC may or may not have with this again. The results and what we see speaks louder than words. And not that this should be a surprise, guys, that life's unfair, but yeah. Yeah. Special special treatment supersedes. Special treatment finds itself within UFC, mixed martial arts, our sport, or whatever you want to call it, guys, and gals. Uh, and then at the end of the press conference, I think it, everybody starts getting excited and even... Connor naysayers find their way on his side once he starts going after Ali Abdullahzadeh, which it's tough. You know, I'm a I'm friends and have relationships with people who are actually in really good standing with, with Ali, whether it be Eric Nixon Extreme Couture or uh, you know at Junkie Radio. We uh, we have him on uh, on the show a lot, and he actually. If you, not that Ali has any problems opening up wherever he's he's, he's at, obviously, but he's really honest, um, not just being volatile, but we've actually gotten more of the... Sim- we've, I, I would argue we've gotten more of the sympathetic. We've gotten more... We have gotten... MMA Junkie Radio, I'll go on the record, have gotten more Ali Abdelaziz apologies than anybody else for what that's worth. That is a fact. I will go on the record here saying. But uh, But, yeah... The guy definitely has a shady past once you look into it, and I have, and it, you know, it puts in a funny spot, you know, you, you got to be non-biased and cover these people, and, but at the same time, you got to be non-biased. Us as the media, we're up close with these people. We're meeting these people. We have to go face-to-face to ask these people hard questions, and whether we're asking hard questions or not, or, you know, um, regardless of what questions I should say you're asking, you develop a relationship Good or bad. And you develop rapport, which equals trust levels for better or worse. Uh, and that's just, a, and that is, that is a natural by byproduct, whether you like it or not. Um, so with the, whether you like it or not, I just ask you to understand that as the fan, uh, the hardcore fan, if you're listening to this fucking flying shit show, um, all right, and by the way, I will be time stamping so people can skip through this or come back and listen to it later. Um, but yeah, and then it's so at the end, he, he scares him out, and he goes, my God, this is where McGregor's delivery is good. I mean, I kind of, I, I criticized his, his Russian uh, political uh, trash talk, but but this is where delivery was like, right, it was right out of a movie, was it not? He sounded like a villain out of a movie, uh, Connor, he said. He said, he said, where's Noah? He said, he said, where's Noah? Where's Noah? What about Noah? I forgot how he, I forgot how he said it. I'm fucking butchering it now, but it was good. It was really good how he said that. I was like, holy shit, that was dark. And by the way, Noah is Ali Adil, Aziz's son from another relationship. Uh, and I won't comment on the alleged child support claims that are tied to it, which is probably why Connor mentioned that. Again, Ollie's uh, been great when I've seen him in studio, he's, he's handled himself great, but I also am aware the man has history, and yeah, the man handles himself a certain way. Uh, so, there's both sides of it for you as far as that opinion goes, because I, yeah, I don't know what to say about that, but I did enjoy it, it did give me some laughs, so I did appreciate it for what it's worth. Alright, um... Not much to say about Bellator, so I will uh, I will say it for the second half. We'll make the second half of the podcast a breakdown portion. So on that beat, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll briefly preview Bellator Two Hundred Six, and we will break down from bottom to top UFC Sao Paulo right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. And we're back we're right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC Sao Paulo breakdown and a little bit of the Bellator 206 preview of at least their main card, which I will touch on now. Uh, Petrucci Fury. Wow, minus (laughs) 1,000. It's Roger Huerta. Old smash making. Uh, Plus 580 comeback on Huerta. Yeah, I I don't like it. Uh, We talked to Huerta this week. He did not sound sound great, not sound motivated, and to be honest, kind of like his career the last Eight, ten—I don't know how long it's been years—mailing it in, which sucks because you know you just—I don't know—I don't want to get into the psyche of Roger Huerta or what 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 happened between uh, if there's you know psychedelic trips or too much drinking of snake blood or shots to the head and soccer kicks to the head—I don't know what 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 it is, but. You'd hope the enlightenment of the travel and the worldly experiences, and you know, being an intelligent guy in the capable sense, uh, and uh, you know, coaching, cornering, really working with with really, uh, really good fighters, and developing and camps into what becomes really good camps. You know, Tiger Muay Thai, but. uh It's just still that scrappy guy that's gonna come forward, blasting kicks and winging punches, and looking at getting the wrestling scrambles until he gets burned or the person gets tired of scrambling with him. You know, it really, really hasn't been too. much. I mean, that's been the base of his style. And I hate to be talking shit. I mean, dude, uh, gave Roger White to love in my, you know, ten, you know top 10 important fights for the lightweight uh, UFC's lightweight division you know giving love to uh, him and Guida Um, which may sound kind of crazy the way I just put it but uh, go read that article Um, I put a lot into that one and then the way I I feel like I make a good case for it in in the brief description that I give for, for, for that pick in its chronological order, as I tell the story of the UFC's lightweight division. And why I chose that for a highlighting point. Again, you can't take the top ten to literally, there's no there's no answer for these things. Alright, anyways, uh, Petrugy Fury is going to do the old karate stance, intercept and knockout. Uh, his, his, his counter wrestling has quietly gotten better under um, Eric Albacin. And I don't have their striking coach who's really rounded them with that karate influence uh, offhand. I keep forgetting this guy's name. I'm really bad at that. I will get that. Note that for later. All right, Denise Kielholz versus Veta Ortega. This is one of the closer fights. I could see Arte- uh, Artega, uh come back plus 180, minus 240 uh, Um I guess Kielholtz should be favored, but I'm not confident in the minus 240. I did pick her for staff picks. Um, you, you just got to hope that her her background's going to shine through. Ironically, her judo did, which is her kind of her earlier base. So maybe that the, it's more ingrained into the muscle memories, oddly enough. Uh, whereas her kickboxing is definitely there and she can bang and she's not afraid to throw very much Dutch styling except uh, the head movement is just, ugh, it's just not there. It's like, uh, but she's just so low and loaded. It's, it, it, she's almost like the, she, you know, she almost reminds me of like the, the, the female, uh, Hakeem uh, with her stance. with The way she stands, loads and throws, it's almost like a female Hakeem Duodu. It may sound crazy at first, but watch. Go watch him. Um, but uh, the antithesis, I believe, to her style, someone's going to be able to make it ugly. Uh, it's going to be able to come forward, just make it a dogfight and get on top. And that is kind of Vita Ortega, at least the couple fights that I saw from her yeah uh, she looks like she could do that. Um I ended up picking Keel Holtz because of the Judo again. It looks like she's had answers when girls try to stymie her in the clinch. And her separations don't look bad if she can wield the sta- the sense of mind to do so. Um again it gets kinda crazy as a combat experience, but then the MMA experience not so much. So we gotta see where that balances out at, right? It's a little different for everybody. So I guess see you had Ortega getting that one, for sure. But I went with Kielhultz. Um John Salter, I believe was... I thought he was going to be... I'm not sure what he opened at, but he's... Uh, but Huffey Lovato Jr. is favored, minus 325. Comeback on John Salter, plus 250. In um, the prediction video we did for MMA Junkie... By the way, shout out. The Easter eggs for these prediction videos will be my t-shirts going on. In case you didn't notice, Dan Tom's been... Uh, I've worn movie t-shirts to the show before, that's for sure, but uh, I got some new ones. And let's just say if anybody knows the (laughs) t-shirt or what irreversible (laughs) movie, (laughs) I pity you. I pity you if you found that Easter egg, but uh, I'm wearing little Easter egg shirts for for some of these videos, if you notice. Holler at me, by the way, at Downtown MMA. Holler at me if you notice some of these ones. All right, um, yeah, I took Lovato Jr. here because, again... John Salter, he, he's really come a long way. You know, he's, he's again, he's real dangerous when a wrestler, especially, you know, when uh, you start getting into those Division one s collegiate amateur wrestlers, really get a love for jiu-jitsu, John Salter did. i um, sure he's paid the price and, and has been submitted. Uh, uh, you know, got a real... Uh, it was almost his perfect circumstances, and he probably could have, maybe could have rolled through, depending, you know, how good his bridge was. Maybe he didn't realize it was there. But uh, anyways, I'm glad he didn't, because Dan Miller got him with an awesome choke back in the day. But he put he put a run um, after his failed run with uh, the, uh, his first failed run with the uh, his first failed run say, with the Ultimate Fighting Championships. Um, you know, his striking's still not that great. He's that southpaw stance and that pressure. Uh so that kinda of saves him, right? Durable semi-durable Southpaw he can wrestle is gonna, gonna go a long way, he's a live dog, but he also kinda of has that spazzy kind of retard nature. I know I'm supposed I'm not supposed to say that word, but uh about him. Uh you kinda of can see it with that when he that Jason McDonald when he's all celebrating of you know, the injury. It's like, yeah, come on, dude. Um but he's got the spazziness about him and he even still keeps stating even when this run he's, I'm the best grappler, anybody in this division, I'm the best grappler. Well, he's facing, in my opinion, the best grappler in this division, uh, Rafael Lovato Jr. Um, so, yeah, he's, he, I don't see it's going to be going too well for him. And Lovato, I was, I was seeing his assault maybe in stand-up could, could maybe grind this out, but not only is that not his attitude, I don't think it's a viable path for him. Lovato Jr., there's not a great sample size, and it's not nothing to write home about it per se, though he has stoppages on the feet, and they will throw flying knees and kicks. But there's, what there is, there's, there's real progression, there's real power, and there's real comfort, more importantly. And he's working with a good place for that, uh, if you want comfort in the in the heat of things. And that that's Evalu Tai And he went down there for this camp. And uh, a fighter we're going to be talking about who's getting ready at the same time, who trains there, is Francisco Trinaldo. Who is a very... Uh, a uh, hard-hitting southpaw who's going to get him real ready for it. And, of course, Francisco Trinaldo has a very uh, 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 strong offensive uh, grappling top game. all uh, salter, uh, n- n- not as known for it as a salter, not as dangerous, not as big, not as long, obviously. But, again, uh, you know, he's not going to be short of good training partners there. Oh, by the way, Sergio Morais, as far as if he needs good grappling partners to train with, will also be there. So yeah, so I can see why Lovato Jr. is minus 325, but I don't really play Bellator stuff, so I, I didn't play anything here, to be honest, guys. I may, when it comes, some props drop, we'll see. Uh, John Teixeira, Machapa. Mm, love the thing about Brazilians is their multiple names. Just kidding, I love you Brazilians, but that is the one thing I don't love about you, is <laughs> the multiple names. It gets confusing. Um, You know, why can't you just make it, like, easy, like uh, us Hawaiians, where you just call everybody uncle or auntie? Just kidding. Just kidding just kidding i'm not, not trying to get not trying to get racial there hey, i gotta love brazil come on we're both surfer surfing uh surfing loving nations there all right aj mckee though is the, the reserved favorite uh minus 520 uh i really speaking of south boston i really like aj mckee south boston i think distance management is going to be the key here um and uh macho durable man but he just gets hit a lot you know could this be the time you know this could be the time maybe where a perfect counter cross just fucking lays him out or at least lays him out enough for maybe AJ McKee to jump on something and upset him with a, a choke with his long arms. He's got some long arms off the front choke there in a scramble. He could be, or I do think AJ McKee's separations, takedown defense and footwork, range management, intercepting punches. I think he's gonna need against a guy like Makaba. Um are gonna be there for him. So whether it's inside the distance or precision, we'll see. I'd be interested to see if those what those lines say when those come out, but uh, but yeah, I got a um, McKee. Some people might not maybe listen to this on Friday or Saturday morning when the fights already happened. So, uh, and again, Bellator, I don't usually break it down. I don't know what the interest is like, so I'm not gonna spend too much time on that. You know, I spent uh, just under ten minutes, I guess you could say. So we're gonna move on. That's right, UFC Fight Night 137, UFC Sao Paulo. I'm mad at myself. I actually had to look up how to spell Sao Paulo one time during my research. Uh, Offer this card, um, <laughs> you think there've been enough cards here? I've been breaking these things down enough. I would know how to do that. Starting off, uh, yeah, fight pass. Then it'll be FS two, FS one. Okay, starting off, of fight pass. Uh, Livia Souza, the biggest favorite. I believe it's like minus eleven hundred or something ridiculous over Alex Astro Girl Chambers. <laughs> How does be dealing with this um, glass of whiskey that I poured myself on break? Shh. Um, sorry, I'm pulling, uh, the line is pulled up. Scrolling up. Wow, minus 1400. Come back on Alex Chambers. Plus 925. Um, yeah, Alex Chambers looks like she did improve her wrestling, at least maybe offensively. You know, she came out with a lot of pressure where she usually kind of skirts the outer black octagon lines and allows pressure fighters to kind of overwhelm her unless she captures a apropos armbar or something off her back, showing off her purple belt skills. Uh You know, she did go to American Top Team to train that last camp, and this camp, I believe so, as well. Sorry, it was a couple of days since I looked up my research for this fight. I'm pretty sure when I did my Instagram, he search for these fights. But uh Livia Hinata-Susan, man, she's fighting out of Sao Paulo. She's fighting at home to make her debut. She's had a legitimate competition as far as uh, women go... Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt accoladed one at that Uh, you know um, gonna be one of the more talented ground fighters well there's a lot of talented ground fighters as far as relative to that division goes but yeah she's one of them it's fair to say Um, and uh, I can see why everything is juiced up for her although if you didn't want to play her uh, I think the best angle is minus 165 right now which that's juiced up as well for Baisal Mishu Because, um, God, I'm I'm not trying to offend Brazilians right now, I promise. But uh, I I don't think Alex Chambers, for all her improvements, I don't think defensive wrestling is there. And I don't think her stand-up is going to be enough to uh, hurt Souza, who can counter, come forward, and change level, at least serviceably, though nothing to write home about, uh, enough to stay out of trouble against most girls, especially Alex Chambers, I think. And I'm not not even going to try to pick out Alex Chambers being 40 or close to it. Go bless her. She's hot for a forty-year-old dude. I don't even know why, you, why you're talking trash, bro. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, not much to say about that fight. You don't need me. It's not on my avoid list because you don't need me to tell you where to put your money on the these big inflated lines. I saved my slots there. Now we'll recap at the end. All right. Uh, next fight. I think it is Luigi Vandramini. Is it Luigi Vandramini? Yes, but. Elise Vandromini was Zaleski dos Santos was Elijah uh, Duski dos Santos Capoeira Uva Mojera Yeah, uh, late replacement, man, I'm bummed out, man I, like many of you hardcores, was most excited for maybe not most well, probably most, looking at the lineup, yeah most excited is fair to say, is it? That's not too outlandish, is it? Um, Bilal Muhammad vs. Alizee Zaleski de Santos, but it is not my friends. It unfortunately is not, and we're stuck with Alizee Zaleski de uh, Santos versus Luigi Vendramini. Minus minus eight fifty versus uh, Elijah Desque de Santos and Luigi Vendramini plus plus five seventy five. I was, it, you know, it's funny that all I I'll be, I'll be honest, all I could find was a highlight wheel on Luigi Vendramini. Yes, Dan Tom is doing that thing where he's hoping to get it stuck in your head and for when it comes to fight time, you're gonna be like, why do I have Luigi Vantamin? And he's stuck in my head, you're like, fuck you, Dan Tom. That is my goal. I was pleasantly surprised, even though I was admittedly only could see one highlight video of uh Luigi. But it's funny, whenever we come across those fights, which sadly are more often than not with the this insane schedule the UFC uh, keeps, which makes injuries harder to service and scheduling harder to make to, you know. Fill for advertising space as I tend to look at these cards, sadly. Um, a lot of them. The oh, animal, you gotta be such a jaded fuck. Come on, why can't you just love the UFC? I don't, goddammit. Barnaby still does. It's still real to me. Didn't it? Um, but uh, what I like about kind of these fights with the low sample size is it almost really forces me to, like, you get this, this kind of lull, I think. This uh, another canary coal mine slash off the top of my head theory. But when you have, you, know, you lay out, okay, I'm going to watch this fight, this fight, this person has this many fights or whatever you're laying out your research or whatever your process is, at least for mine. I see a lot of fights and I'm like, okay, and, and, you know, you kind of get your, your arc, what you want to look for and you, you just, it's easy to get kind of lost in the slog of it, right? Whereas the good thing about these fights, like, how the fuck am I going to break someone down realistically off a shitty highlight video or off just a couple shitty clips, clips or just one fight? But it almost makes it reminds me where, again, I'm, I'm, I'm self-deprecating for the whole beginning of the podcast, so forgive me for giving myself maybe slightly somewhat of credit here, I dare say, but this is maybe where I say, I guess, a strength of mine, I, I feel like we're, it's funny we're not even strength, because again, this is it's fucking bullshit, this is this is just my thoughts, my bullshit prediction off of a, a weak sample size, So so again, this isn't even a real compliment by any means. But it's funny because even though it's just one fight, I I feel like having a, you know again ha, you know having uh, you know if, if if you're someone how let's put it this way if you're someone who's had experience it almost makes it easier to read if you're forced to to, to, to read a limited sample size you know kind of like uh, I have references before I was coaching a class and and beating a class if it's a striking class or something or you having people shadow box to warm up. And just by the shadow boxing, it's such an important part. And it's great, especially as a coach. You you see good coaches will do their walk around and kinda of observe to see who they're working with for their class today. Uh because you could see so much of someone's experience. Like this guy's not just this guy's experience, this guy's not, this guy's shitty, this guy's good. But other things, like, oh, this guy's boxed before, okay. This guy's in box before, but this guy's comes from a karate background because he's working from more bladed stance, he has a little more of a herky jerky offbeat time into his punches you know um etc uh so uh sorry I'm getting a bunch of work text right now um but yeah so you know you, it, it's so important so i'm not just i'm not just talking out of my ass here there's kind of a science to it so with that in mind if you can tell someone just about uh, so much about a group of people just by shadow boxing if you do have the eye for it and you have the experience then you could in theory actually tell somewhat of a decent amount by one fight. Now, does that mean you can tell everything about the fighter? No, of course not. Does that mean you can predict the winner of the fight? Fucking definitely not. But but I'm saying you can get a a decent feel, surprisingly enough, I dare say. And I dare say, Luigi Vendramini looks pretty fucking good. I haven't heard of this fucking kid. I can't find shit on him. But uh, he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I think, and I believe. And I... the regional experience accolade That could be like a fucking their version of Naga or it could be something important. It's kind of hard to tell. But the dude looks like he can strike. He's really athletic. He keeps his feet beneath him. Uh, comes forward. Looks like he's got sharp triggers. Uh, again, limited sample size. Of course, they're showing his best moments, right? Keeping this in mind. Um, but again just a real attitude of striking about him for a guy on paper, I believe, is Jiu-Jitsu. And then when he... He can take... Yeah, he's got a reactionary takedown, which he uses to counter-pressure. I don't know if he's a counter-striker, but it looks like he uses a counter-takedown, which is even better in MMA, right? Um, looks like he can get takedowns against the fence, according to this this highlight video. And on the ground, yeah, the Jiu-Jitsu comes alive. he got front chokes. Um, it looks like he's hitting... I want to say an anaconda choke. Sorry, this is really annoying me. Throwing my phone on the ground. Hopefully I don't hear that damn vibration. Uh, and I don't know if he's fitting an anaconda or a darts from an odd angle where you're almost kind of like at that north-south angle, but you're off to the edge, obviously not like a real north-south because you're locked up for a choke. Um, But he's doing these little intricacies. like He's making sure that something I always talk about, getting the belly to the back of the head. You know whether you're doing a standing guillotine or an anaconda choke, you want that belly to the back of the head, and then that's the belly almost finishes the choke. You really, you know, expand your diaphragm, crunch in, and and it's almost like your belly finishes the choke at that point. Ben Rothwell's go-go choke, I believe, is polished off the same way. Um, anyway, so it'll be interesting to see what that happens there. But the line's way too juiced to bet anything on that fight, to be honest. And in, the way both of these guys are matched up, it's going to be a fucking wild fight. The safest bet, I don't mess with these, but uh, fight of the night prop, I would say, for that one. All right, uh, next fight. Hector Lombard, minus 125, Talos Latest plus 105. Um, I was looking at Latest as an early lean coming into this fight. The line kind of surprised me, so it made me look at him more. But uh, upon footage, eh, no, man, no. I mean, you date back to it. I think Talos Latest is only beaten... Um. Fuck. Oh, Please don't let me pull it up. God damn it. He's only beaten Sam Alvey, which, say what you will about Sam Alvey, but he, Sam Alvey got, uh, was hurt going into that camp with an ankle and the first kick within the first 30 seconds, he checks a kick and hurts that leg and is on one leg for the rest of the fight. So you can either look at that he beat Sam Alvey on one leg or couldn't finish him for three rounds and made for a fucking terrible fight. Um, oh, shit. Okay, well, you canceled that, damn it, Anyways, and then he only beat uh, like one other person since the USADA era and has taken like beatings in all the fights. Um, dating back to his last good win was the Tim Bosch fight, and even that he took a goddamn beating in, right? And Bosch is usually the comeback. Oh, Chris Camosi was his win. And uh, I picked him, it's him there. It's tough. You know, speed. He's training back at Nova and Yao. Yeah, it was great to see him going out for pizzas with the BJ on his Instagram, but uh, yeah, man. I don't know, Lombard's still dangerous for a little bit, and uh, I, I don't know if he fades as hard at uh, at middleweight, though he's still suspect to fade. That's just a weird fight all over. The over-unders or the totals are everywhere. It's, I mean, too tight, or not even worth playing. I say stay away, motherfucker. It's just one of those days on my avoid list. All right, next fight. Still on fight pass. We had Jillian Robertson, minus 150, Mayra Bueno Silva plus one thirty Jillian Robertson underrated from odds makers and Gen Pop, I know it's you know it's the one twenty five division it's, it's gotten more criticism than excitement. Let's be honest guys and gals and women and women uh but Gillian Robertson, man, I was really impressed looking back at our last fight more closely with Molly McCann, um just watching your transitions, just seeing your chains from the single leg to the drop down, rolling under. Uh, into a, you know, she did, and then she does another uh, transition where she goes from like a single leg to a Homer Simpson, uh, Homer Simpson uh, roll sweep transition, kind of a, a helicopter sweep. I believe is another name for it, kind of like a little little Noguera tries to do, which we'll get to later. Um, sorry, I'm messing up these names for for positions that I'm I'm not too familiar with, or at least moves and titles that I'm not too familiar with. I'm, I am familiar with single legs and deep half. I was really impressed, and in that post-fight, she's like, I've been working with Din Thomas since 16 years old, I was like, holy shit, okay, she's fucking well-trained, um, the stand-up's still developing, you know, there, there there's still some things there to be desired, uh, but this girl is really well-trained, uh, so it don't, her minus 150 against a newcomer almost makes you want to play it, but though there really wasn't footage on Mira Bueno Silva and she doesn't sound very accolated, you know, trainings to get in shape, kind of the whole typical bio and, you know, Brazil fights. And then I just watched the Dana White contender series fight of hers. Um, and she finishes the girl rather quickly, but she looks at, she looks really athletic. Uh, she, it reminded me of another newcomer who's was coming on the on the main card later. Um, but, uh, really athletic in the standard department. Uh, looks like it, Developing stand up game, but a natural switch dancer, which was surprising. So I'm just really interested to see that there's the, again athletic ability and physical tenacity can take you a long way in the women's division. Plus, the whole typical fighting in her hometown of Sao Paulo, Brazil it's enough to scare me away from a straight play. But I was, I will admit, the degenerate in me, maybe I still will. Come fight time like a small sprinkle. But it definitely didn't make my official plays. But I will admit I was tempted to take a shot on Jillian Robertson, who who I'm excited to see. Uh, actually, I'm excited to see what she can develop into. All right. Uh, I'm going to hit a quick pause. Because I'm sweating my balls off. And <laughs> I'm going to hit some AC, regardless if it picks up on the mic, which it shouldn't be too bad. But uh, just a quick pause, and we'll be back. All right, and I'm back. Sorry about that. All right. Ben Sondre. Oh. Yep, last fight in the UFC Fight Pass portion, Ben Saunders versus Sergio Moraes. Moraes is the favorite, minus 290. Ben Saunders, the underdog, plus 245. Man, I hate picking against Ben Saunders, but it feels like I do every time. Um, but this is a tough one, I think, uh, for Ben Saunders. Unless he uh, catches Moraes with a knee or a head kick, I have a hard time seeing him out-volume Marais without getting hurt with something, to be honest. And I not. I don't see him submitting Sergio Marais, Uh unless you were, like, again, a hurt Marais. Marais takes him down and falls into something. It has to be something, like, super freakish like that. And Ben Saunders is a badass. He's a black belt himself. This is MMA. Like, it wouldn't be that outlandish. Definitely my heart is with Saunders, but, man, it's... It's tough. You know, Mirai's. I counted him out against Means. I was like, oh, no. Means definitely has this with volume. And Means technically threw and landed more, but uh, I might not have agreed with it live, but I agreed with it after, for sure. Um, that Mirai's got that that win. And again, working with Evolu Kautai, he's really developed a stand up game there. And, um, you know, not just right hands, uppercuts, body kicks last fight again means mainly fights out of southpaw at least of late so you know he's coming off with the southpaw um he's got a southpaw in his camp francisco trinaldo so the southpaw styling so again saunders can fight out of both dance, but mainly from southpaw as of late i don't think that'll throw him off nor will the height he's used to facing longer guys um and, yeah, Marais makes his money in that boxing range where Ben Saunders has has been hurt. So that's that's tough. Uh, it didn't make my official, but it was almost there. And uh, I may sprinkle on it anyways, and that's Marais inside the distance, plus 130. I mean, by submission or knock, I mean, he goes for it. Even his decisions, is, is, it's, he's still going for it. I mean, the, yeah. He, Maybe one or two where he gassed out, kind of, you know, or maybe slowed down a bit, but um, it's do or die, I think. And uh, for both these guys, the way they kind of line up, especially Ben Saunders in general, you know, he looked at him. He didn't see the scorecards much, but but this matchup especially. So uh, I think that's worth looking at for you degenerates out there, Morais inside the distance uh, plus 130. All right, FS one portion of the card. Uh, let's see here. Augusto Sakai, minus 210, versus Chase Sherman, underdog, comeback, plus 175. You know, I had Sakai as the favorite here, but I'm not confident in that minus 210 by any means. Um, He's shown that he can kind of get sucked into a low-volume fight, you know, with, with, with Czech Congo, and even in other decisions as well, if you go back and watch, but... He's also deceptively light on his feet for a chubby guy, right? And he he can can counter, he can come forward when he wants to. It's more than just his mindset, you know. um, Maybe that fight, he was just, again, he he didn't suffer a loss up until that point. So maybe he was just too comfortable. He's used to winning. And he just got suckered by a veteran and he got suckered into that fight, that old clinch fight, um... Now, I don't see Chase, Cur- Chase Sherman forcing a clinch fight. I could see Chase Sherman going for late-round takedowns to surprise slash secure a win, but I don't see him forcing a clench fight. It's more about volume, but Chase Sherman gets hurt almost every fight. And But then again, a guy I'm pretty high on is Justin Willis, who we had on the show this week, and man, can you dig? God, I can't help but love that guy more and more every time he comes on, man. And I was expecting, like many, and and the line, I believe, at the time was Justin Willis to to take care of him pretty handily, let's just say. And he dropped him, almost did, but after that, you know, Justin Willis got a little tired, but regardless of uh, what was going on with Justin Willis, Chase Sherman recovered showed heart got back on his jab got moving around got back into the fight and fought his ass off you know didn't come close to winning but he fought his ass off and he came back from that adversity in that sense you got to give him credit for that and in that sense i can see that happening the guy's ufc debut maybe getting excited and him you know piling on volume maybe uh but it's tough you know it's tough. It's like you you want to imagine Sakai would be the more guy to drop to the ground. He he, he uh, for takedowns. He's shown he can do that, but it's weird though. He says he's a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu brown belt. That's his highest, um, most notable accolade, maybe only. Yet, the ground exchanges I saw him in were really sloppy. Were super sloppy. I mean, he essentially fought like a light heavyweight in his. Uh, in his UFC debut, in his Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender fight, and, like, he could have finished him, like, two or three times probably before he actually finished him. Like, it took him a minute, and then he gets on top, and the guy threatens with, like, a bad leg lock, and his reaction was really poor. He barely limped legs out of there and just just opts to to, to do a shitty limp leg, which not only was a shitty limp leg, but that action in general loses the position. You just... Earned and slash could have potentially finished the fight because you stunned him to get there, like really poor decision making and also showing. P- I don't know, man. He might have one of those fucking Cracker Jack Brazilian Jiu Jitsu brown belts, man. So I'm, I'm I'm suspect. I'm suspect on his groundwork until I see more. So uh, one thing I it is that it is fair to say though is both these guys are pretty durable. Both these guys can be lulled into weird paces whether they're winning or losing. Um, so I think the over is actually pretty playable, you know. I, I've been pretty, in, in my defense, I've been pretty accurate with my totals lately. Uh, we hit the maribach Tyson versus Des Green under. I feel like that, or over, I mean, that, I feel like my read on that was pretty accurate, I will say. But it's funny, I've been really bad. Uh, sorry, again, if I, you know, it feels like Dan Tom's been been. Lo- I haven't been as early as I've promised, and, you know, again, just... I've not been tweeting as much. Maybe I don't seem as passionate. It could be about, <laughs> could uh, correlate with my comments of looking at these cards, like advertising space, because there's so many, and yada yada. I, I love this. I love my I love my job. Uh, passionate about the sport. I'm trying to keep that, believe you me. So I apologize if it's coming off the other way. But uh, yeah, I've been bad about posting my plays, and it was funny. I think I posted, like, I don't know if it was the last card or the one before, but I think. I posted one of three plays, and it was the one that lost. And I even posted the two that won. <laughs> Shows how much I give a fuck about that. But yeah, I'll try to get better about that for y'all. you all know where to find it. And let me know, do you guys? Let me know again. Another thing I want feedback on, guys, at Dan Tom MMA. Do you guys want any of the? Well, I don't know if I'll do the plays, but do you want a list of my picks of who, uh, in the cliff notes or the show notes? Do you guys want that or not? Let me know. Uh, last note on this fight. Sakai looks like the Brazilian Hodor, but I don't know because Conan Silverio, is to me is still kind of Brazilian Hodor. Yeah, respect to Conan, Conan, but he looks like Brazilian Hodor. Anyways, Sherman Sakai over. I played it. I I, I gave in over 1.5 minus 125. I put one. I matched it with 1.25 units just to be cute. All right, next flight. Luis Henrique. Versus Ryan's Spann. Ryan's Spann is your favorite. Minus 160. Come back, Larissa Henrique. Plus 140. This fight... This fight's fucking everywhere, man. Uh, I'm avoiding this one. I don't know if it's on my avoid list. Might as well be. It's not, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, add it on the fly. Uh, because, yeah, I mean... Initially, it was, okay, can Ryan Span defend the takedown? But then Ryan Span will have those kind of judo moves, you know, He'll have hip tosses here and there. But not enough to sell me that he knows what he's doing in the wrestling, wrestling-wise. I don't know if he's just being cute using his long frame because that, that's going to be there for him. Uh, he does have front strokes that can rely, threaten, perhaps dissuade. Luis Enrique, but Luis Enrique looks like he's actually in good shape. I was worried about this cut. Because he, he looked like a thick-framed, growing heavyweight, but he looks in pretty damn good shape for a minute, and he, he's been looks like he's been sitting in this weight for a minute according to his Instagram. Um, but ultimately, you know, he got dropped by Arjun Bulu with a right hand, and if that happens, I feel like I could see him getting hit with uh, spans, improving striking uh who had by the way span has knocked down guys both coming forward and off the counter with right hands and the fact that even though span who's more of a jiu-jitsu guy on paper the lines being bet uh more juice toward him finishing by strikes means that other people are reading him getting it done by strikes as well so um if you play that or ryan span straight up they're both playable and i don't blame you but man I got a weird feeling all this fight, so I'm just going to stay away, motherfucker. It's just one of those days. Another one on the avoids list, but it's also on my straight play list because it was the only thing I really honestly straight played, and it's my only dog pick. But it's on my avoid list because this is a clear bias pick, and I don't suggest you jump off this clip with me. That's right. Francisco Masaranduba minus 230, versus the comeback on Evan Dunham, plus 190. Yes, Evan Dunham. I used to work with him in Extreme Couture. Uh, he is the Protecting neck Podcast header photo on Twitter. That's right. Go to our Twitter, add us if you haven't already, at the PYM Podcast. If you see a tattoo gentleman getting choked in the head and arm, that is me getting choked. And that is Evan Dunham doing the choking. So, of course, I got to take him, right? But when Dan Tom, although these bias picks, admitted bias, fan, whatever you want to call it, picks happen, they are seldom, they are few and far between and I admit them, always up front this is one of those and I put my money where my mouth I just threw a unit for plus 195 on good old 3D Dunham 3D Dunham his durability though, unfortunately didn't seem to be there You know, uh, I thought it was a bias aside, I thought, I thought it was a good play against OAM, you know, he, he's beaten that type of guy before uh, you know, grappling specialists who are developing striking, he just out-volumes guys. It's a great, you know, he's, he's got great volume, great process. He can hold his own in the wrestling. He can He's improved his wrestling. He's always been good in jiu-jitsu. He's only improved that as well. But age is a motherfucker. And it catches up to everybody in different ways and at different times. And maybe that's what's happened because Dunham's announced his retirement fight, which is a flag in its own on why you should stay away. And the shots that, you know, putting them away. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, the term soft to the body, you know, it could be that. You know, it's been, he hasn't been putting away from body shots before. But, but Dunham's a tough motherfucker, too. Don't forget about his war with T.J. Grant, you know. He's had plenty of wars out there. And, and sure, by the way, stat, Ronaldo 4-2 against UFC Southpaws. Uh, Evan Dunham, 2-2-1. Two, two Although I will argue Dunham should be 3-2-1 because he beat Rafael Dos Anjos in Brazil and was robbed. And uh, his best path to victory victory is surviving another uh, early scare like he did with the Dariush fight. And then coming back and getting a Trinaldo who has a propensity to gas. uh, And I could see that happening again as he gets older, especially if he gets close to finishing a guy in the first round. You know, we've seen that. But he's A, Dunham has to survive it, which seems less likely these days. And B, he's in Brazil. So, I don't blame you for not jumping off this cliff with me. I don't want you to, but I'm jumping off the cliff, goddammit. But yeah, Ronaldo Pai should be favored there. All right, moving on. Charles Oliveira versus Christos Yagos. We're on FS2 still, uh, prelims. Uh, Charles Oliveira minus 400, Christos Yagos plus 325. Uh, yeah, line here is about right. I like Yagos. You know, he, he brings it, he wars. Um, Saw, so, 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 you know, saw him briefly in the UFC, I believe, and then saw him again with, with the, you know, came up on the old Josh Emmett tape study and the old NorCal fight scene, and I was also at ACB fifty-one uh, and saw his fight there. Um, been able to put together a little win streak since then, do not a win streak, but he's coming off one at least in the ACB organization as well. And in his last fight though with ACB, it's just you still see the same thing. I mean. Again, the high school wrestling experience, and good for him. He embraced jujitsu. Uh, he's not afraid to scrap, and he's definitely a serviceable striker. You know, he he can swing and bang, punches and kicks coming forward, even going backward a bit. But it's just his propensity to get in these dog fights. That's what's going to hurt him here. You know, um, I could see him getting picked apart, and just enough. Even if he comes in here like trying to be composed and and have a game plan with Charles Oliveira. And because, you know, Charles Oliveira, it's almost like submission or bus. Even if like Yagos comes in like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to come in composed and wait for him to fold. Like I could just see Charles Oliveira, even though his Muay Thai, Thai technique is not as world class as <laughs> Rogan says it is. Um, it's definitely good enough to, I think, like be a flint lighter and spark that uh, that fire in Yagos and get him into that dogfight that Yagos tends to get himself in when or lose, Right. And that's all Chucky uh, Chucky Olives there, um, to quote the MA analysis, uh, says, sorry, my, my screen is like flickering. It's like doing that thing from the ring right now. You know what does that, that staticky thing in? Okay, and now it's back. I thought a Japanese girl was gonna jump out of my uh, my TV for a second. Sorry, um, and I think that's all it's gonna take for 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 uh, Charles Oliveira to lock up his submission. What I was gonna say sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I got Charles Oliveira by submission, but uh, the lines are super juiced. I think it's like even juiced for the submission prop. So yeah, I'm just gonna watch the madness, enjoy the madness. Into the main card where we have Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Marcos in minus one ten. Marcos was the underdog, and uh, now it's a favorite. I guess people maybe should they bet Marcos because, like me, uh, why I picked her, she's the more proven product. I feel she's been underrated by public and odds makers in the past. Slightly, not a lot, but slightly. Um, that being said, it's not a, it's not a confident pick. Again, like I was kind of alluding to with the other Brazilian newcomer uh, I mentioned earlier in the card, but with this one that we're speaking of here, Marina Rodriguez, you know, very tall. Uh, rangy, likes the Muay Thai clench again looks very serviceable from punches to kicks and putting it together uh, a natural striker for this division for what that's worth but uh, would like to see more on the ground whereas Random Marcos we've seen her on the ground for better and worse against uh, some of the better competition in this division as far as the ground goes, some of them and uh, mixed results right but she's scraps. she goes for it she doesn't go away easily, um, so I'll take her here, but uh, I stayed away. This is on. This is officially on the avoid list as well. Uh, all right, nothing more to say there. All right, uh, Henin-Barral minus 160, next fight, versus Andre Uhl plus 140. Surprising, yet I guess not surprising in the line when you really look at the state of the Baron. The old Baron Burrell. Um This one is on the avoid list, by the way. Uh, Andre Ulo, uh a boxer, he's kind of got that boxing vibe to him. He takes it, you know, most of experience outside of in boxing. He kind of has that swag to him. He'll kind of let let the fight kind of unfold. We'll will counter. He'll, he'll he'll pressure, but not like you know, pressuring with volume. You know what I'm saying? Uh, to me, he comes off more as a counter fighter, and I don't know how it's going to work for him against Brow. He's going to really need to pressure him. The problem is if he's smart and is watching Tate and and knows, okay, well, I need to have more aggressive performance because Andre does have those as well. And if he decides to go that route, not sure how well his purple or blue belt I don't have it in front of me, is going to hold up. So I didn't like what, regardless of his rank, I didn't like what I saw from him on the ground, especially against a guy like Burrell, who underrated as one of the low-key, some of the best wrestling in the division. Mainly noted, yes, for his takedown defense, but the guy can hit takedowns as well. Um... And, obviously, his top game, but more importantly, his back-taking, you know. Andre Uhl, when he gets up, he tends to turtle and stand. Like, he he has a basic underhook and basic grip fighting and a basic cage awareness, but not good enough to fight off back-takes. He's got his back taking in fights before and against, you know, a really good back-taker, though he hasn't shown it as of late, Hennon Um I don't think it's a good idea. Now, Burrell seems like just a shell of himself, right? He... Burrell, here's how I equate it, Burrell looks like one of those old early 90s, like the, is evolved into the archetype of the 90s, early 90s video game bad guy. Which is, no matter what video game platform, no matter what video game, whether, whether, whether it was a boxing game, a, a Star Fox boss, or whatever was a boss... There was that basic archetype where whether it was a image with the uh, whether it was image on the top right hand of your screen of the bad guy and his face with a life bar, or the active image of what you were facing in the game itself, what was going on in the early to mid '90s, especially, was the face would change the bad guy. You're right. The more damage you would do, the face would change. Now, well, Dan, that's. That's fucking true for any fight, dumbass. Okay, that is true, but for different. It's not so much damage, and it's not so much reflecting damage. Is the equation? It's more pressure, and what reflects is not so much damage though. Brau does get damaged as well when that when he gets hit, but he gets this like shock scared face like opened like really what not scared by the way that's a poor word to use he gets a wide-eyed look on his face like his eyes go super wide and he looks very lost and confused and it's fun it's it's like clockwork now in his last couple fights you know whenever he gets just the pressure gets poured on whether it's effective pressure or not whether he's getting rocked or not you just see it steadily happening so that being said, I like what he's doing with going to American top team now. You know, he only had, he really has only had one fight there. Uh, you can count that as his adjusting fight. Not that he has another, or at least not that I think he has a world, another world title running him. But I, I, I do believe there is that adjusting fight. He had the adjusting fight beforehand because he went from Nova and Yao to, I believe, uh, Littrell Yee, uh, New Mexico. Uh, and then you know goes to you know so there's camp changes right you got to kind of cut the guy some slack there, he's jumping around. Again tough fights if you look at you know Aljamain Sterling who's you know only uptrended. Um, so I mean yeah you know uh, another world title run no but to write him off against a UFC newcomer I can't honestly pick him against him here. If he does lose, well, that's going to say a lot about Burrell. But the pick is Burrell. Uh, it's on my list. although I will say, if there is one, shout out Derek Love, at Derek Love third round. Uh, there is one Derek Love third round flyer, loyal listener lo- listen to the podcast. Uh, it, it is this fight. Um, well, again, he, he's a guy who's a slow burn guy. And we have a guy who's who fades, who's almost been finished in the third round, and finished in the third round in his last couple of fights. So you have that on paper equation, and price-wise, it looks good. You know, there was a, who was it? Oh, it'll be the next fight. We'll get to. Um, the base, at least from what I see, is plus twelve hundred for third round flyers. You never, or you should never, see it priced for under that, and that's kind of my cutoff. It's not even worth throwing a flyer on. Plus 1,200 is that mark, right? So in other words, if it's plus 1,100 or plus plus ten hundred, then I'm starting to think twice, especially if it's plus 900 or plus 800 like we'll talk about in the next fight. But this fight, they have it listed as plus 1,375 for, in my opinion, the most volatile third round of them all for UFC Sao Paulo. So Derek Love, if you're looking for... not, I'm not, I'm not telling Derek Love third. I'm just, it's named after Derek Love. You degenerates out there, I should say, are looking for third round. There you go. By the way, I'm actually only gonna take like my my third sip of whiskey. So if I'm sounding uh bleh, it's not because of the whiskey. It's, it's the voice people. It's the voice people, it's gone. And it was only a small bottle of Johnny Walker Black. Uh although I gotta take um Homeboy on Twitter at Strong Style jujitsu's uh Yamazaki 12 year. I still have it written down. You uh, recommended to me that a couple months ago. And I need to order some. Get back to him on that. I'll review that on the podcast as well with the, uh... What I'm hoping is not fucking Jameson Light. <laughs> Proper 12. Alright. Coleman event, event. Ale- Alex Oliveira, minus 450. Carlo Pedersoli, plus 360. This was the fight... I got I got uh, Alex Oliveira here. Um, this was the fight where I was leading to with the third round... Uh, Prop here. Let me just set it up. We all know what Cowboy Oliveira is. Knockout power. He can come in and out. Strike at boxing range. Uh, He's known for the Muay Thai on Zapapa. His Muay Thai mainly in the clinch where he is freakishly strong. uh, And can do real damage. Does good damage on top. Uh, Suspect from bottom. Scraps. Can get finishes in the third round. But can also get finished in the third round. Depending. Um... Or Pettersoli, only one fight in the UFC against Brad Scott, Where, depending on who you ask, underperform. Because most people have written Brad Scott off, but then again, I think Brad Scott tested positive for PEDs, so say what you will. Pettersoli, also aside from Nicholas Dalby, relatively untested, but I like what I see from him. Uh, Southpaw stylings, flashy southpaw, you know, basic stuff with the counter-crosses, but then also the spin kicks and all that shit. But he flows really well from topside, like knows what he's doing, can hit serviceable takedowns as well. Like, looks like he's positionally aware in the scramble, surprisingly. But again, still untested, still looks like, you know, he, he won't break mentally or anything like that. But, like, you know, there's a ceiling. Whether it be pressure, skill, all of the above, there there is a ceiling there that still needs to be exposed, and I'm not confident in anything with him. But the reason why I, uh, I alluded to the third round because the third round is something I could see, like I could see an attritive battle uh, where Alex Oliveira comes on top, just beating him up in the clinch and forcing a, a, a finish by the third round. Not confident in it. Probably seeing more of a dogfight into a decision. But this is another one where uh, between this and the uh, Elijah Duskew uh, versus uh, Luigi Vandramini Fight. Uh, I think your fight of the nights are probably going to be in between there. Dan, you skip Antonio Rodrigo versus Sam Alvey. How fucking dare me? All right, Sam Alvey minus 365. Antonio Rodrigo and Rivera plus 305. Always been a big little Nog fan, man. Not just because he's a Noguera. Uh, not just because he's a deep half proprietor. Not just because he's a grip fighting connoisseur. Not just because. He's a Southpaw boxer, my favorite. My favorite of all the styles. Remember that Luis Cain, people? Oh, remember that Luis Kane win? That was so beautiful, wasn't that? Oh, Go queue up Little Nog versus Luis Cain. If you're going to queue up any of his UFC fights, other than that, just go back to his pride career and forget any of his UFC career pretty much happened. Although, I do remember back in my very novice betting days just cashing uh, on him against Hashad. And that um, that was one of his higher higher class performances. But, man, Little Nog is a shell of himself, could barely move. He was like a cricket man, uh, according to, uh, I believe, Brendan Schaub in the back room of his fight before he came out and got demolished by Anthony Johnson. And, you know, I'm not sure if he's alive. I'm not sure if that is this big Nog coming out for him now, you know? No, just kidding, it's not. But you know what I mean. It's tough. I went to his Instagram and I watched like a video of him doing pads, and it was like they were doing like shortcuts, like, like you know how Hollywood will cut like right before the impact happens so you don't see that the punch didn't land. Like they're doing that for little nog, but they're doing it for his mid session, and they're doing it like before you could see that he didn't really have speed or rhythm anymore. And if you read between the lines, it was really sad what I saw. So just that alone was like ugh. Even if Sam Alvey fights like a Sam Alvey fight or fights his worst fight, like I see him winning this. We talked to Sam. Um, you know, it's it's hit and miss. To see about who he's training with these days, but to his credit, man, he is training or uh, he did have some uh, social quality time, I guess, in with uh, Dominic Reyes. Uh, so if that's uh, the dark horse, the guy I got pinned. Uh, my favorite Southpaw, the light uh, heavyweight division, or uh, upcoming Southpaw, I should say, newcomer to the light heavyweight division, the Dark Horse. Yeah. So I imagine um, going from a super athletic guy like that to Little Nog, it's, it's going to be a night and day difference. And Sam did say that there was a focus. He was honest. He was like, hey, man, let's be honest. Your critic is your lack of aggression and volume. Is that can be worked out? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, He did acknowledge it as something that is a focus on for this camp and fight. So if he doesn't show any improvements, well, I think even Sam's not going to make any excuses for himself at that point. But I do have Sam Alvey. Um, His his ITD and KO props are just so. No plays from that point of view. But by the way, Sam Alvey and Sergio Moraes are my closest thing to parlay pieces if you're looking for that, for what that's worth. Minus 265 for Alvy and Marais, 290. Again, you're a madman for doing that. But whatever. You're a psycho for, for parlaying Salv Alvy in particular, by the way. But in case you want to know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to fill out these categories. I'm trying not to forget about these on you guys. That's all. That's all. All right. All right. Main event time. Eric Anders versus Tiago Santos. Tiago Santos favorite. Minus 155. Eric Anders plus 135. Man. This is tough. I don't want to skimp on it like I normally do because I'm just out of gas, as you can tell by the main events. But I do write down and break down these things in depth. By the way, let me know what you thought about that. I didn't quite touch. I did touch on it, but I didn't quite explain. I did the, the summary part a little different. I did a, a little three-section kind of the points of interest as well, but did the written version. Let me know what you guys think of that. It still ended up being almost as long word-wise. You know, whatever, digestible. Man, as I said in the video, I hate picking against Eric Anders. I, I never picked against him. I love Eric Anders. But this is a tough fight for him. This is a tough fight for him, especially on six fucking days' notice. He's not coming off the couch by any means. Sometimes these things can be an advantage. I like to think that he's a game-day performer. He's definitely a competitor. He's definitely an athlete. He's definitely capable of winning this fight. But it's hard to be confident. Um, Thiago Santos's speed... You know, he's not, uh, he's not, Eric's, Eric Andrews, you could argue is a better athlete, but I don't think he's going to be the faster guy than Tiago Santos. He's not going to carry that normal advantage. And when you look at the kicks, I mean, he got debased by leg kicks by both Tim Williams, well, Lidio Machido, excusable, even at this stage of his career by Tim Williams. Um, and even Tim Williams was like, even second round was like landing head kicks that were a bit close for comfort, to be honest. And sure, Anders ended up landing a kick of his own to finish the fight, but man, I didn't didn't like it. I didn't like that there there weren't counter-triggers embedded. Now, in the third round, he does start to counter Tim Williams, at least his light kicks. But I don't like that it took to the third round. I don't know if you're going to want to wait to the third round to throw counter-triggers that don't look like they're anywhere near embedded into your game or your muscle memory. And Tiago Santos is the last guy you want to develop and feel out, shake off the not the rust, but shake off the feels for a counter trigger. I don't know if that's the guy for a kick counter trigger to shake that off against. So that's tough. Pressure is a good thing. That's going in Eric Anders' favor, but even when he hurts a guy, he tends to try to take him down, and that. And that's not a bad thing for Thiago Santos. Thiago Santos has shown he's gotten better from there. He's shown he could scramble, defend against guys like Gerald Mearshart. and uh, and yeah, I mean, just, just showing improvements in general. You know, his training over American Top Team has not been in vain. He's fresh off a fight, as is Tim Williams, uh, with still a little more time to heal. Or not, as Tim Williams as is Eric, Eric Anders, but, but but Santos has more time you know, to heal, was more more prepared. Um, and Eric Anders seems to get off to slow starts as he's faced high, higher-level competition. That seems to be a common thread in these more relevant fights. And Tiago Santos, for better or worse, gets off to a real fast starts. so the pick is Santos. The fight doesn't go the distance, and the airlines are too juiced or too volatile to play either way. Um, so I didn't. All right, I am going to recap real quick. Uh, my picks from bottom to top are from Bellator forward. I took Patricchi Fieri over Roger Huerta. Denise Kielhost over Veta Arteaga. Rafael Lovato Jr. looks like a villain who will invite you over to breakfast in his veranda and kill you the next night. Over John Salter. AJ McKee over John Maka Batisheira. And for UFC Sa- Sao Paulo from bottom to top, I took... Livia Souza over Alex Chambers. Elise Uzaleski-Dos Santos over Luigi Vandramini. Hope that gets stuck in your head. Also took Hector Lombard over Talas Leites. Julian Robertson over Meira Buena Silva. Sergio Moraes over Ben Saunders. Augusto Sakai over Chase Sherman. Ryan Spann over Luis Henrique. Evan Dunham going with a dog. Sticking with them with over Francisco Massar and Duba Taking Charles Oliveira over Cristos Yagos. Taking Random Marcos. Over newcomer Marina Rodriguez, taking Hannon Barrao over Andre Uhl. Smiling Sam Alvey over Little Nog. Alex Oliveira over Cardo Pedosoli. And taking Tiago Santos over Eric Anders. Uh, parlay pieces at your own risk. Sergio Morais, Sam Alvey if you're a psycho. Uh, straight plays. The only one I'm doing is Evan Dunham plus 195 at one unit, which means none that I'm recommending for you because I don't recommend any of that for you. Uh, Props, a little more confident in, Uh, Sherman Sakai over 1.5 at minus 125, put 1.25 units on that, Uh, a recommendation lean, whatever you want to call it, though not an official Was Mirai's Inside the Distance plus 131 unit if you wanted to do that. Uh, what I did for sure, though, is Lombard Latest, fight won't go the distance. Oh, I didn't say that. Fight won't go the distance, Lombard Latest, minus 130. I put two units on that. I feel like there's, there's that's one of the more valuable bets uh, on the card. I don't I don't see either of that going uh, from gas out to damage to volatility. Um, yeah, two units, minus 130, that fight doesn't go the distance. Uh, Olivia Souza sub minus 165. If you're really looking for an angle to play that, I just stayed away avoid list Dunham Trinaldo even though I played it I don't recommend that you do Marcos Rodriguez also on the avoid list and what did I add on the fly to the avoid list Uh, Luis Henrique was Ryan's fan Um, yeah that's it alright I will add these in the cliff notes hopefully you enjoyed this episode hopefully you get to it It has been a pleasure. Good luck on your picks and plays, whatever they are this weekend. Watch out for USADA or not if you have money. Regardless, always protect the